Welcome, everyone, to Star Wars from the Back to Tank. I am Michael Flores, the captain of this T-Y-T-Y-T light freighter. There we go. I got it right, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Welcome. We are in hyperspace. Hi, Dave. How's it going, everybody? All right. So today, you and I are going to be talking about Star Wars Bounty Hunter number six. That's right. We are continuing our discussion on this very fun Marvel Star Wars series. Uh, This title, of course, for this specific issue is Target Valance Part 1, Zuckus and Forlom. Dude, I was so excited when I saw the the cover for this because I love the bounty hunters and everything, the bounty hunters of Star Wars and I love it when we get to see Bounty hunters that not many fans know about. Only the hardcore fans know Zuckus and and love. It's true. And I was so excited to actually see where they're going with these two now because Valance got away from uh, from Bosk and uh, uh, Boba Fett. Now we got Zuckus and and Lob Nine with him. Yeah, Uh, it's fun, dude. It's a fun series, as I said. Now, Bounty Hunter 6 is the sixth issue of the canon comic book series, Star Wars Bounty Hunters. It was written by Ethan Sachs and illustrated by Paolo Vianelli. Both continue to wow me with their skill set. Yes. Two against one, Dave. The cyborg Bounty Hunter Valance is on the run after narrowly escaping the Unbroken Clan Syndicate. And the Unbroken Clan has sent a deadly and unique pair of Bounty Hunters after him. And that's the pair of bounty hunters known as Forlom and Zuckus. That's right, Dave. Forlom and Zuckus, the very bounty hunters that Vader had gathered along with Fett, IG-88, and Dengar in Empire Strikes Back. Which made up the group that was tasked with what? With finding Solo. Yep. So, Dave, we are starting the second official story arc within this title. The first story arc did a really great job working through the basics, getting us started, laying down the groundwork for our protagonist, Baylart Valance, and fleshing out this time and period between Empire and Return of the Jedi. And what I mean by fleshing out this time period, but how are things, how do things work? 
when we're not just dealing with the rebels and the empires? What does the bounty hunter scene look like? What does the crime syndicates look like in this time period? And this is a time period, David, that I'm very picky about because I know the expanded universe is dead and gone and there's nothing we can ever do to get it back. And I'm okay with that ultimately. But the the time period between Empire and Return of the Jedi, Dave. That's a lot is, of time. It's a lot of time and it's very special to me because of the Shadow of the Empire series. Yes. Which dealt with largely the crime syndicates. It dealt a lot with that aspect. So anytime we get to move into that territory again, it brings back a flood of nostalgia and good nostalgia. I know sometimes we frown and poo-poo on nostalgia, but there's nothing wrong with nostalgia as long as it's fresh and unique at the same time. And of course moves the larger story of star Wars forward. Yeah. And the first arc did a good job getting everything moving and ended on a positive. We had some really great character development, of course, for Baylart Valance And now with this story, it would appear that Ethan Sack is wanting to go a little deeper this time around. Yes. As we've discussed, Baylart's hatred of droids has everything to do with him. Yes. He hates himself. He hates what he's become. He hates that he was blindly loyal to the Empire to only be treated like he was worthless. He doesn't have a positive self-image, and it's an element that just about... Every issue, Ethan touches on briefly in some way. This is not very great feeling he has for himself. Uh, this issue furthers that idea even more. Ethan Sachs bookends the issue with a very personal intro and outro, exploring a potential love interest for Valance, which in itself isn't overly exciting, but how he uses that relationship to convey how Valance feels about himself, or I should say about his appearance, is just fucking sad. Yes. Knowing that he's going to go seek out his ex, Yura, for help, he attempts to get his face repaired with cybernetic skin. That was sad. That was sad. And it goes to show you that... If a writer cares just a bit, just a bit, and we say this throughout our discussions uh, when it comes to Mandalorian and other things, if you have a writer that cares just a little bit about furthering a character's story and really fleshing out how they may feel, because that's ultimately a job of a writer uh, for a comic book series, for a novel, for a TV show, movie, you have to find clever ways to help get into the minds of our of our protagonists. Yeah. And honestly when it comes to Ethan Sachs, we all, we already know that the character of Valance is very close to him at this point because he really does understand the character. And Ethan Sachs has already proven that he can write this series from the beginning. So now it was interesting for him to all of a sudden, I don't, I don't want to say like switch it into reverse, but suddenly slow it down because ever since the beginning, it's been a roller coaster ride, like an action, like action, every single yeah. issue really kicking the story off. Yeah. Yeah. And then suddenly we 
just reverse the engines a little bit, slow down, and now we have this moment to catch our breath. Reestablish Valance as a character, and basically now we're going to tackle something on this other side of him to get delve deeper into him. Because you're right. I mean, in the very beginning, that first story arc, we got some really cool character moments for Valance to show that he's sympathetic to the reader. Yeah, you know? he he's doing right. Ethan Sachs is doing right by Robbie Thompson, who is the writer who's responsible for actually officially bringing Baylart Valance back into canon. Yeah. And, you know, in this issue here, Ethan Sachs is continuing elements that Robbie Thompson, Thompson con- had, continued. had started, we should say, because he had started the 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 origin, the new origin story of Baylard with his a tragic accident that destroyed his body. <laughs> yes. And, of course, this idealistic young man on his planet that felt like he owed the empire so much because the empire has done so much for us. And we see bits of that Baylar in this issue. So Ethan Sachs isn't just forgetting what came before. He's actually using it and expanding on it. And you are right, Dave, about this feeling a little more slowed down. Not that it doesn't have a lot of action. It does. It uh, does. A guy gets blown up. A guy gets <laughs> burnt and dies yes. in, in a in a, a blazing flame of, of excellence. Uh, a guy gets thrown and blasted and destroyed with a laser cannon. So there is plenty of action. But when you compare it to the opening story arc, this does slow down just a bit. And we needed to. We had five fast-paced issues where yes. they were trying to sell the idea that Baylart was a mean motherfucker, that he was just a cold-blooded killer. Yeah. And the twist was, yeah, he's a mean motherfucker, but he has a heart. But he has a heart. <laughs> exactly. And that's, that was the reveal in that final issue. And that's why you and I both gave issue five such high marks because yes. of that twist, that he actually did care about something. And this issue furthers that idea but slows things down a bit more so that we can get those those nuances and and of course you've got to read between the lines but it's very clear and this aspect with the cybernetic skin it's cohesive with what we know of Baylar so far all these things his his hatred for himself and i love moments like this because they are relatively easy attempts as i was saying a few moments ago at fleshing out characters and it was a simple scene. It didn't take an incredible amount of time. And I always say that you just have to act like you care a bit about writing and yeah. telling an interesting story. And you can always find quick, le- quick, clever ways to express a thought. And Sack does just that in this issue. He finds his moments where he can drop a little bit of substance. And then he moves on. He doesn't dwell on it because it's not really that type of series either. Yeah, exactly. He just gives us those moments that just have that much of an impactful emotion hit that gets his point across, but he doesn't let it take away from the story right now. This is a fast-paced title for Oh, very fast-paced. Yeah. I mean, like, when you take a look at that scene that you were talking about where Valance basically goes back to Europe. And Yura basically looks at him and says, what did they do to you? Yeah. And you see the tear on Yura's cheek. And that is what all of a sudden they cut to Valance's 
face and it's like just deadpan. Well, it's a tragic story. I know any type of tragedy is awful. Uh, disfigurement is yeah. what I was, that's the word I was looking for. But there's a reason why they have always drawn Baylor as a very good looking chiseled dude because he lost that. Yes. That's the tragedy. The guy was a good looking guy and he's completely disfigured and barely even recognizable to himself without his synthetic skin. It 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 really harkens back to like stories like Phantom of the Opera. Like yes. The classics. You know? Yep. I agree. And 100%. Like, when you see that, it's it's interesting that basically – in a story that basically ties to like a story like Phantom of the Opera, you expect the character who plays the va- phantom type to be the villain. But here, it's played very sympathetically. It's played to show that Valance cares about what Yura thinks of him to the point that he wants to hide the scars. He doesn't want him to see her or, or her to see him yeah. in, in, this, in this way. And it makes Valance very human, even though he's more machine than anything else. It's the reason why I love, I, I really liked um, the series that me and you covered before Bounty Hunters. I think it was Target Vader. Yeah, Target Vader. Um, the, one of the things they established there was Valance's hatred was more than just a racism type of thing stereotype towards droids it was a very personal thing it was about himself it was about himself (laughs) and it had nothing to do with a droid doing something bad to him no it was about himself the damage he caused himself and at the end of the day he has to look in the mirror and say this is my mistake well he's got so much anger and anger and and honestly dave it makes perfect sense with this story and i feel like we are potentially working into some really great territory by revisiting Baylard's homeworld, seeing how he used to dream of Imperial service, which makes the way the empire treated him all the more terrible. It also exposes the ugliness of war and how many soldiers are just instruments, their fodder. I mean, that those two, I think, two pages that uh, Sachs wrote where we saw when Baylart was being operated on. And there was so much onomatopoeia. Is that what it is? Yes. Onomatopoeia with just these sounds of ripping flesh, flesh. and burning s- sounds when they were sizzling and tearing pieces of his body off. And the reason why this happened to him was because he believed in the Empire. That's the, that's the worst part about it. And then they hear what those Imperial soldiers are saying. Oh, like, that was the messed up part. Dude, he's what, not even worth cybernetic parts. Don't waste your time on him. Yeah. And, and hearing one of the Imperial officers, it, it's a line in here that I actually wrote down. He's not exactly a war hero, is he? Just don't waste perfectly good cybernetic yeah. parts. Chances are he won't be much of use to us. That is that really encompasses the one thing that I think all Star Wars stories in the new era are trying to point out is the fact that the people who work for the Empire is aren't quote unquote evil. 
it's the people above them that basically it's the empire way of thinking, you know, that basically you're just power. Yeah. You're just a piece of piece of the machine and you can be replaced easily. Yeah. You're just what? Contrition. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cold, but it works for this story and it helps actually further sympathize the character of Valance who quite honestly shouldn't be a sympathetic character when you think about it. I mean, he's really, he's, he's a rough around the edges type of character, but when you put, put him in the, put him in the bubble with the empire and the fact that the empire is more disgusting than he, he is. Mm-hmm. It's a really tragic thing to knowing that Valance was one of them, you know? Yeah. Now you bring up the operating table scene and what the Empire, what the Imperial officer was saying. This, besides the obvious, was another small moment I really liked. And it had to do with explaining why he's so unkillable and tough. We've said that he's a machine. Like, and not because he's a machine. The guy is like just a, a beast mode. When he was dying on the Imperial operating table, the medical droid said that he's only alive by sheer force of will. Force of will. <laughs> that says a lot about his character and why he is who he is and why he does what he does and why a character like this could essentially. I mean, okay, so when you think about it, it makes much more sense because, yeah, force of will is exactly why he can go head to head against Vader and come out alive and come out alive. Yeah. And also the like it really puts into perspective too that force of will of his. When you look at that, the action sequences that you you mentioned uh, earlier. It. It just dawned on me after the rereading the issue like for the third or third or fourth time, I think I realized that the way Valance fights also shows that force of will, but it also shows that basically it ties it into his distaste for himself because he doesn't care if he gets injured. Like in the very end when he's bleeding out, he's not really whimpering or anything. He's just like, Oh, Oh, well. And then he makes the comment about seeing Yura again. And that's where we leave it. Right. There's no like real pain. He shows when he hurts himself. Which is a clear cut example of self-hatred when you hate yourself so much that you just don't care if you stab yourself or if you and order. He doesn't care if the people shoot him because it's just going to get fixed. He'll just sit in that chair just like what he did in the issue and just get patched up. Yeah, (laughs) Dave, this character here. I feel like. If they keep going in this direction, we may end up getting our Dr. Afra volume four. What I mean by that is volume four is when Dr. Afra really got fucking good. Meaning. Everything we've seen of Dr. Afra up to that point was great, was really good. But volume four was the accumulation of everything they were working towards. And that's why volume four worked so well. Yeah. I feel like the direction they're taking Baylart. And if we keep going in this direction and we keep exploring these moments of substance and really fleshing out 
who he is and why he is the way he is and what makes him tick. I feel like by like issue 30, issue 40, we're going to get to a point where we suddenly realize, holy shit, this series is not just fun. This series is really, really good. It's really good and it has substance. I, I honestly think that we're gearing up for something like that. Yeah. And I hope we are because now I will be honest. Ethan Sachs is is a good writer. Yeah. He's not nearly as good as Kieran Gillen or Cy Spurrier. And they're the ones that were working on Dr. Afra, but it doesn't mean he can't get better as he writes because he does have talent. So we, we shall see. It also depends on the direction they want to take this, this, this series. It is a fun series. It's a little bit of a, an exploitation. It has it that, is. that grindhouse flair at times with the over the top action and some of the gruesomeness, but but I do feel like we have a very unique character. I don't believe we've ever seen a character like this in star Wars. No, not like this. I mean, like in, in old EU Valance was far different than what he's being portrayed here. He wasn't as interesting. He wasn't as interesting. And he was, he was the stereotypical villain. He He was very much the flash Gordon esque cyborg villain. He was, he was general grievous before general. (laughs) Yeah. I can, yeah, I can and see that. The thing, the thing about him now is I have this feeling that what they're trying to do is create a character that it still has those elements of darkness, like his self-hatred, his hatred of droids and stuff like that, and still have that. But now they're trying to kind of lighten him up so that he can be a hero, more a hero than a villain which I think is the one thing that's going to be different than that's going to be the difference between him and Afra because Afra me and you have discussed on Afra Afra is a bad person. Oh yeah. (laughs) She's a bad person with Valance. He's not a bad person. It's just the, the cards that he, he was dealt make him a bad person. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Afra chooses it. She chooses it. She chooses her 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 life and lives by it. And it's that's her core principle. Well, the difference is Baylar is a victim of tragedy. A victim of tragedy, yes. Whereas Afra brings everything upon herself. Yes. And that is the defining difference I think the two characters are gonna have. And it's going to be interesting where they take with Valance. I mean, I don't know how, how long you can make a character like a character built on tragedy to go. Well, it it really depends Dave on, well, you can always have tragedy be at its core when it comes to this character, when it comes to Baylark tragedy can always be at it at his core. And if you use that as your guiding line, for this character, then you should be fine. But yes, over time, you're going to evolve his, you know, situations are going to change and the stories will be different. But at the end of the day, you got to remain true to who he is. Who he and is. he is yeah. a character forged in tragedy. So that will always play a part. It doesn't mean it always needs to be at the forefront, though. Yeah. 
no different than a story pertaining to Luke and Han and Leia. There's always elements that you're always going to include, no matter what story it is or when it takes place. It doesn't mean we're going to keep doing the same retired, regurgitated, regurgitated stories either. Yeah. All right. So lastly, for Lom and Zuckus, <laughs> nice to see them being used. They are definitely the least used out of the group that was introduced in Empire. Would you agree with that? Yes. A hundred percent. Because like Dengar, Dengar is used a lot. Dengar and IG-88. IG-88. Yeah. Used a lot. I, I, I even expect that that's the next pairing that we're going to get. Because if you IG-88 look at it. and Dengar. IG-88 oh, we've got and it. We've got to. <laughs> because like you, we started off the series with two of the bounty hunters already with Bosk and Boba Fett. Now we jump to Forlom and Zuckus. The other, two, the last remaining two is IG-88 and Dengar. Yeah. Which I think is going to be honestly my favorite because out of all the bounty hunters, I've, I've made it quite clear. Boba Fett is not my favorite bounty hunter. <laughs> Boba Fett's cool. What about dad bod bounty hunter? Dad bod. Dad bod Boba Fett. <laughs> what about dad bod Boba Fett? Fett? Come on, Dave. No, well, dad bod Boba Fett is uh He's an evolution of Boba Fett that I think that I can get behind. On Zello's all dad bod, dad bod, where? <laughs> where? <laughs> but yeah, I agree with you 100% that these two particularly are two of the most unused bounty hunters, well, which just, sucks because they're so cool. They're cool. But also, Dave, we get in some tricky area with the whole precog aspect. That doesn't feel a lot like Star Wars. It feels like early ideas of Star Wars, you know, with whole with the whole aspect of precog, because this is a character that was conceived and never really was going to ever be used. So having him be a precog in the Star Wars uh, source material, source books, hey, that's pretty cool. He's a precog, but how do you actually make that work in the world of Star Wars? Does his precog ability have some connection to the force? Because as we know, all elements of the supernatural and elements of things that are unexplainable typically align with the force, right? Yes. So he, he is a, a character that is tricky. I, I'm not even sure I know much about his species. I'm assuming his entire species have the ability of of precog. Precog. I'm- I believe that they're a Force-sensitive species. I believe oh, so. Oh, okay. Well, if our Star Wars listeners are listening right now and they're throwing things because they're saying we're completely wrong, I apologize. Now, when you look at the canon, in way of canon since 2012, when Disney purchased Lucasfilm, they've only been used a handful of times. Yes. Uh, Star Wars Adventures, which doesn't really count. The original trilogy graphic novel. That doesn't really count. Darth Vader 16. A bunch of other Empire Strikes Back adaptations. Tooth and Claw from a certain point of view. That does count. Actually, Mike, I think I found the answer. Because I looked up just now. Because uh, 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 Zuckus makes the comment, against Feynman can sense your attack even before before you strike. Right, yeah. Uh, I looked up Gans Feinsman's, uh, and actually in the in the Wikipedia, so this is actually official. 
and this is part canon. It's actually listed as canon. Okay. Uh, the Finesmen were a force sensitive or a force sensitive species through the Finesmen themselves claimed that their abilities did not stem from the force. Religious traditions of bounty hunters unique to the Gan species, which is Zuckus, the Finesmen worship the shrouding mists of the planet Gan, defining omens and signs in the order of to locate their prey. Interesting. So they were a force sensitive species, so it makes sense. That yeah, I, you know what? I just don't really know much about them, honestly. That's it, a deep dive, though, man. Okay, so according to the wiki here, canon, Zuckus, uh, okay. Possessing a sixth sense, he claimed he could feel disturbances in the force. According to early testing by the Inquisitor, Victorious, Zuckus did not register to have force sensitivity on whatever they used to measure one's capability with it. However, the Inquisitors may have been wrong as he still had extrasensory abilities beyond Imperial science. Wow, that's pretty cool. It is. It's a deep dive, though. So, I mean, like, I think that's kind of cool that they brought that forefront in the episode, uh, in this episode, in this issue mm-hmm. uh, with Zuckus. And this is what I mean. Zuckus and Forlom are not, are the most unused bounty hunters. But when you look at them, they're de- just Zuckus himself. I think this is the most we've actually seen them in any of the expanded, new expanded I universe so, yes. elements. Because... The other things were short stories or uh, novelizations that, of course, of things that we've seen before. Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, Bounty Hunter 6 and 7, I, I feel, is the first time they've been truly utilized, utilized in major Star Wars canon since 2012 in a real way. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see what they do. I am, too. I'm. That's why, as I said, is like... It's going to be interesting with the story uh, arc for this part of uh, Bounty Hunters that they're going to focus on these two. And we know that basically every story arc is about like, like the first one was about four, uh, was about, yeah, five issues. Mm-hmm. So we're expecting five issues of to focus on this trio with Valance, Valance, Forlom, and Zuckus. Possibly. Uh, the art for this issue was also just as good as the previous five issues. Just great artwork. You can feel the impacts. Everything yeah. Sax and V and Ellie do together so far on this series has been really well done. Uh, Lee Bermijo did the cover, which is fantastic. Now, I will say it's not my favorite Bermijo cover for this series. My heart Still belongs to the Terminator 2 type Terminator 2, yes. cover. That one is my favorite so far. That is. That's mine too. Now, I was looking it up because I pre-ordered these, and Bermijo is leaving the cover art duties, I believe, by issue 8. He's done. He will no longer be doing cover art. I don't know. It's either issue 8 or issue 9. Yeah, I am, uh, I'm a little disappointed could we not get them at least for a full year? year? Come on now. <laughs> Why do they have to take him away from us now? <laughs> All right, Dave. So final thoughts. I just got to give this a score and that's pretty much it. 
82%. It's a solid read and a great installment in this series so far. What about you, Dave? I'm going to go a little higher. Uh, I'm going to go 89 on this one because one of the things that I put down that really I I liked was the fact that we trans we tone wise and style wise we transferred from a western feel with the the first story arc where it was like a spaghetti western. Here I felt like it was an '80s action movie, just much like Target Vader. Yeah, where it was an '80s action movie. You had even at one point Valance give a one liner. Your thirty seconds are up. I mean, come on, that that's that's like yeah, Arnold good. Schwarzenegger. Yeah, thirty seconds <laughs> so, up, and I'm like going, really? <laughs> okay, I can it's totally a, see it's Arnold a, doing that. It's an '80s action homage to to uh, to the movies and stuff. What is what? What did um, what's the name of his mentor? Oh God, what was it? Because that line when she's all when the the girl says she told you to take care of me, and I am. Eat some food. Eat some food. The way he th- yes. Yeah, you're, you're right. No, you're, you're right. right. David does. Yeah. Some of the lines of this did come off as very 80s. 80s action. So <laughs> that's why I went higher because I love the style that the, the writing group for Bounty Hunters is doing. It feels like they understand what the series is, what they have to do, and they have to make the series feel fun. You know, while they're giving us substance with the story, that's fantastic. But ultimately, you have to make it fun. And that's what this series is. I encourage a lot of Star Wars fans, if you're not reading Bounty Hunters, you're missing out on some really good things. Yeah, don't be a square. Don't be a square. (laughs) All right, Dave. This does bring us to the end. I want to thank everyone for listening. And don't forget to find us on Patreon as well. That way you can help us stay on the air through 2021 and beyond. And at the same time, when you pledge at least $5 or more a month, uh, you will gain access to additional shows. That's right. When you pledge, you will gain access to additional back to tank discussions. We have a whole, we have tons of shows already available. So the moment you do pledge, you'll gain instant access to those, but also And the new year, we have a lot of cool things planned. All right. Thank you, David. Thank you. May the force be with us. Ah, yes. (laughs) 